I'm Howard and welcome to the 9320 Podcast Friday Show, where we look back briefly, you'll be glad to know, an international break we are all glad is over, and look forward to the return of the Premier League and a match against Burnley this Saturday. Uh, delighted to be joined by the one and only Steve. Hello Steve. Hello, how are you? Yeah, not, not bad at all. Yourself? I've got the Friday afternoon fatigue setting in. And so I'm looking forward to talking about a bit of footy and waking myself up. Yeah. And sad as it is, I'm already looking forward to Chinese takeaway. Oh, that's not sad at all. What are you having? <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. It takes me three hours to decide oh, to have you're one of those. any takeaway menu. Uh, it takes me like half a day's planning just to, to pick something. Ugh, nothing more frustrating than being with someone like that in a restaurant. I know. Oh, I'm better in a restaurant because oh. <laughs> I just... I tell the waiter to take everyone else's orders so that then I have to <laughs> <something>. <laughs> uh, Anyway, we shall look, uh, as I said in the intro, we shall look briefly back at the Nations League, which actually gave us a football match that was quite interesting, which for an international break is a rarity. Uh, now, we've done, we did a show this week about, uh, about the Nations League and England and whatnot and other teams as well. Looked at Germany and I did ask... I think whoever was on the show, how they thought it had gone and has it been more of a success than they thought. So I thought, because you're on today, uh, I would ask you the same question. Has this Nations League surprised you and it's been a bit more to it than we thought and not as big a waste of time as, for example, just having a round of friendlies? Talking about the Nations League is not conducive to helping my Friday afternoon fatigue. <laughs> Sorry. I did say we'd be brief. Yeah, well, very briefly. I was very critical of the tournament. Um, I wrote three kind of articles about it uh, prior to it kind of kicking off. Um, I'm very much with Jurgen Klopp on this one, where I just see it as a kind of colossal waste of time. Um, what it has produced is some outstandingly entertaining games we're seeing Germany losing we're seeing Gibraltar winning and topping their group which you know obviously mm. we can never say before um, and we've seen a first half in particular away to Spain where England were immense they were just kind of fired up and, and brilliant uh, so they have it's got a lot going for it in that regard but the structure of it and its existence is still farcical for me Um for one thing, it because it doesn't mean anything. We know it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> the, the, the ones in League One, um, the, the likelihood is they will qualify for the tournament anyway. So uh, it really just does amount to a bunch of friendlies. Um, except that because they're competitive fixtures now, the players are under more kind of uh, expectation to be more committed and so there's increasing likelihood of injuries. Um, I'm just against it generally to be honest there's another international break next month um, and it's just a long drawn out period of boredom where you're just waiting for proper football to start again yeah <laughs> so I think yeah. you wanted to go on further didn't you I did I'm kind of in two minds now because it has swayed me around like I say with the quality of the football but don't that suggest that it does mean something to the players? But it also suggests surely that intensity against Spain would not have been there in a friendly. 
but but that's my point. No, it's that, that's that's a double edged sword. It's kind of you know that's great to see and it's entertaining, but ultimately it means absolutely niche. It means nothing whatsoever that game because England the likelihood is they'll qualify anyway because in their qualifying group they'll be against kind of you know. Bratislava and Moldova and made-up countries, so they'll just get through anyway. So it doesn't mean anything ultimately their performance against Spain. Um, and then when you Not see England, like players no. like to England, and then you see players like Eric Dyer, for example, that that tackle he did, um, and everyone kind of celebrating it. Great, yeah. But if I was a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be too happy with seeing like an England player on what is essentially you know a f- international friendly duty throwing himself about that. That um, yeah. You know, players can get injured when when they're fully committed, and usually in friendlies they're not fully committed. Normally, they just kind of stroll about a bit for seventy minutes and get subbed in preparation for the following week. Now that says to me that friendlies in themselves are pointless, and these to me are just dressed up friendlies. They're still pointless. Only now, like I say, there's an increased likelihood of injury. So all round, I'm not in favour of of a Nations League. Um, it seems to be swaying people around now, and who knows? It's it got so. it's got a fighting chance, you know. It if it does take off, then you know, okay, fair enough. But I still can't see it kind of um, grabbing much attention, particularly like I say for the major countries. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I've said quite a lot already. I'm a bit more positive, but I'm not. I'm certainly not a cheerleader for it. Mm. Uh, I just you know. It gave me a, an entertaining game to watch, and that's kind of where my <laughs> that's all I can say. It's like, oh well, thanks for giving me a ninety minutes of you know yeah. football during the break that was not as boring as normal. Uh, I say instead of friendlies, we'd probably be into the qualifiers by now, but they wouldn't have been more much more entertaining than friendlies because, as you said, you know we're England are pretty much guaranteed to qualify anyway. I think it, I said previously it means more to small teams like Gibraltar because that's how you improve by playing teams just better than you around the same level not by playing England and getting thrashed or France or whatever but it also is, will it be important to teams like Ireland struggling this league because I think it'll give them a worse pot in the actual qualifying stuff so for the top teams maybe not though I did see quite a valid point made I don't know who made it Uh that England have not lost away for like 10 years in a competitive game and they qualify now with ease for tournaments. But then, I know we've just got to a semi-final, but we tend to do terribly. We don't beat top teams very often in finals and at least through this Nations League, we're getting practice of playing the good teams that the qualifying doesn't give us or a friendly doesn't give us because no one cares about them. I think you too say much, no. even that point's valid. Well, it, it is a valid point, but I think generally speaking, that point, if you can, ex- you know, if it's, if it's extended right across the board, too much is is made of that. I think because you look at the players involved, and I know they're playing for their club sides and not England, not together as England, but they're playing against absolute elite players week in week out. Um, so this kind of idea that playing, you know, two or three games per year. Um, against, for like to say, Spain or Croatia, will increase England's chances in you know two years' time, yeah. possibly with a very different team. Anyway, um, it, it's there is something in it, but only slight, and it certainly doesn't justify pissing me about for two weeks at a time, <laughs> once a week. There's another one next month. Um, 
and, and it's just such a drawn out, boring process. And the two, the two commonplace now is too many international breaks. There's so many ways around it where you can improve it. You mentioned there about the the, the, the lesser teams have the importance of a nations league to them. Well, fine. In League Four, all those members of League Four. That's the only league of Nations League. Scrap the rest and just have a more competitive qualifying groups um, by by taking out the kind of you know the, the kind of uh, Gibraltars and, and whatnot. Um, so that's one way, and then guarantee whoever finishes top of that particular league made up of the minnows qualifies for the major tournament. Yeah, well, I think some the odd team may well qualify for because there are four extra places. So yeah. I think available. Uh, obviously, if you win your, you know, for even for the big teams, if you win your league, you go through to this finals next summer. But as a new tournament, no one really knows whether where, whether it matters or not. Who knows? Just it's all new. As, as you know, I said before, it's kind of like the Carabao Cup of the internationals. Uh, but it's here to stay. I understand why the club managers don't like it for the reasons you outlined. That the last thing they want is players. Overexerting themselves during an international break, so uh, and it won't surprise you. This was the brainchild of Michelle Platini. So yeah, not just Platini, but the current um, president, his name escapes me now. In his kind of memo to the um, kind of UEFA members to explain about the tournament, he basically out comes out and says it. There, there are windows still left in the footballing calendar that we can fill. You know, he basically just comes out and says that, you know, well, they're there for a reason, mate. They're there because we're talking about professional athletes and they need to go and lie on a beach for two weeks of the year. Yeah. As I said on, yeah, previously as well, if if England don't qualify, I don't think there'll be a lot of England players that will be too gutted to have a summer on the beach next year. Yeah. What they don't need is continuing football for yet another. Uh, I'm sure, it, you know, it won't. The finals won't be as long as surely as a World Cup or a UA, you know, European uh, no, competition, but, Euro twenty two, but or twenty. But still, I'm sure they'd rather be on the beach to be honest and have a break. Just one, you know, every other summer. So yeah. Anyway, which as you say, we've not even started qualifying yet. So there'll be more international breaks coming along. Though I do hope that the groups will be smaller, fewer games there. I would hope, but if it's the same number. Then you're just going to get even more wound up in the future, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, Maybe we could do the whole qualifying drawing next summer, would have been another option. But yeah, probably, I, I've said that. There's probably past. 100 floors with that that I've not thought of. No, no, I, I think, you know, it could even be kind of you know, pre season instead of, um, you know, pre season games. Obviously, the pre season club games can still go ahead, but, you know, internationally, um, you could fit at least a, a a good couple of games in there and um, there's so many kind of places they could be put in rather than throughout the whole course of a season and yeah we just do my head in full stop I mean you get people out there who, who repeatedly state that Harry Kane looks knackered uh, and then cheer him on for England in an absolute meaningless friendly it's those two things are related yeah oh well it's here to stay for now so <laughs> you just have to put up with it another thing uh, we'll move on then. I think we've talked enough about the international break. Four minutes is more than enough. <laughs> Five, <laughs> and on other podcasts as well. Uh, I thought, as you know, as it's a break, not a huge amounts been going on uh, city-wise. So before we look ahead to City's match, there is another 
big match that kicks off the weekend. I think I might say it's the early kickoff on Saturday. So I thought we'd have a quick look at that. Uh, you know, we, we do tend to go into detail with these in our League Matters pod normally, uh, but I think we've time to look at Chelsea against certain Manchester United this weekend. Uh, well, now we've talked on the previous League Matters pod, uh, there was that story, of course, that whatever the result against Newcastle, uh, Mourinho was going, and then made the excuse, I think it was McDonnell who did the story at the Mirror, made the excuse that, well, they won 3-2 in the last minute, so they couldn't sack him. Uh, what are your thoughts? If he lost to Chelsea, do you still think Mourinho's uh, job is on the line here? I don't. It would be a lot easier to sack him after losing to Chelsea, I guess, than yeah. after a stirring comeback against Newcastle. No, that is true, um, but I still can't see it happening. Um, I, I don't think his sacking is imminent, and I think it'll probably get through to the end of the season, um, unless the, the current form continues. But I don't think this game will be the kind of straw that breaks the back, um, because it's away at Chelsea. Because you know you can put kind of caveats there um, due to how good Chelsea are right now. Um, so yeah, I don't think it'll be this one that breaks him. Having said that, if he could carry on um, in the current form, then you know where, where does that leave the club? Well, basically, the, the pressure will just mount up to such an extent I'll have no choice but to, to sack him. Um, but personally speaking, I think United have enough about them. They have enough quality players to kind of grind out results, you know, on, on a kind of fortnightly basis and keep his head above water, or at least that is my hope. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all hoping for that. So. Uh, so looking at this game, I look at Chelsea first. And are you surprised that obviously I think for the first time ever there's three teams after eight games are stuck on the same points, all undefeated as well. Uh, have they adapted to Surrey football the players a lot quicker than you expected? And do you think are they now? I can't work. I don't have an answer to this. I'm not sure now. Being, you know, Liverpool were always the main threat before the season started. They were our main title rivals. Are Chelsea as big as rivals as Liverpool now? Is it a three-way fight out for the title? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a three-way fight out for the title. I think they'll definitely be uh, kind of shades of a 2013-14 season, which you know Chelsea. Let's let's face it. When you look back now, you always think of kind of Liverpool and City for the title, but Chelsea were in there. They, they, you know, were in there fighting towards the end. Um, so we could easily see a repeat of that. Um, by which I mean, I don't think they've got enough about them to actually complete the job and and finish as, as title winners, but. They'll be close. They'll be. Um, who was it used to say there or thereabouts? Was it Andy Townsend? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, they'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. But I don't think they can go all the way. So um, yeah, if if I had to put my neck on the line, I would say City to win the, the title, Liverpool to come second, and Chelsea third. Beyond those three, I could see quite a fall off. Um, I wouldn't be surprised by you know at the end of the season if there was an eight to ten point gap between those three and whoever finishes fourth. Um, that's my take on it anyway and, and I've been really impressed with Chelsea and how quickly they've adapted to Surrey Ball um, it's been helped considerably by the form of Eden Hazard um, he's been instrumental in 10 goals so far this season he's scored 7 and assisted 3 um, Giroud has been 
kind of a revelation. He's, he's, I think he's had four assists himself, which is uh, more than any other player in the Premier League, which, you know, for a player, Jury, who you think of as a, you know, a sub, super sub who comes off a bench and poaches a goal, that's really impressive. Alonso has been magnificent for them. Um, and all round, they've just really fluid, kind of fast-paced, kind of high-pressing, impressive team. Um, and let's face it, what has been the case with Chelsea now for several years is they've had a really, really strong team. It's the managers who have been screwing them up. Um, and that's yeah. not the case this season. I think they've bought into what he's kind of implementing. And they're, in turn, kind of put it out there on the pitch to good purpose. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Chelsea are a formidable opponents for United this Saturday. They are the worst opponents for United to possibly face, bar perhaps City. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't looked forward to a United game for a long time because I find them deathly dull. Um, I think I've spoken on the pod before about there was times last season where United was so utterly, interminably dull that I half hoped that they'd score a goal just to enliven the game. Yeah. Um, I know, I know what you mean. It's yeah. just like, I've been watching a game. I think, well, I don't want this team to score, but yeah, someone scored. Yeah, just to, yeah, and yeah, just to break know. things up and and just break the pattern because it was you know the way they they set up is so predictable, but but kind of you know functional as well at times. Um, so yeah, I I think Chelsea are going to really get at them. Um, and also, I did a, a preview for a betting site this week. And there is a considerably higher than average amount of goals scored in the opening 20 minutes in this fixture mm. uh, in the last 20 years. So that's something to look out for too. I don't go off historical stats. Well, thank but goodness some people do, Howard. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about to add that as I never win any bets, maybe I should start <laughs> Because I certainly need a new tactic at the moment because nothing else is working. Uh Eden Hazard seems to be the going doing the rounds this week that he's the best player in the world at the moment. Is that a bit far fetched? I think he's been absolutely magnificent. He's he's unplayable. Um when he's at the top of his game, he makes Chelsea twice as good. He makes Belgium twice as good. Um and you know, only very, very special players can do that. And when I say very, very special players, I really am putting him in that category of, you know, Messi or Ronaldo. Um De Bruyne for City, you know, only very kind of elite players double the quality of the ten men around them, and Hazard's one of them. Yeah, fair enough. I just the thing with Hazard is, I'm sure he went a year without a goal or something. Mm. And I know it's Chelsea, and when yeah, he's down tools before, hasn't he? You know, and the, yeah, the team, the team it goes off on one. Uh, yeah, they played badly as a team for long periods. Yeah, they, they seem just a strange club, and obviously. Jose Mourinho is to blame for one of those periods mm. as he is now at his new club uh, if you're going to be called the best player in the world then you've got to do what you've got to be as good as Messi every single yeah, week agreed and Hazard has purple patches and they'll be very long ones they may be whole seasons but then of course as you say you know he still has that tendency maybe it's gone now maybe this will never happen again and he's at that stage as a more mature footballer and with a manager who you know he respects and enjoys playing for. We may never see this downing tools or off bad form again, but he's got to do it consistently to be thought of 
right at the top of the tree. Yeah, I, I, yeah. well, I, I don't agree with that because I think um, I, I think no, what, I mean, he's, what he's doing legacy is wise, yeah, he, he's trying to secure a move to Real Madrid, isn't he? So he's doing yeah. it purely for selfish reasons. <laughs> so, so even though he is kind of, as you say, you know, playing exceptionally well under Sarri, and maybe it might be different now to what it was. I don't think it is different to what it was. I think he's still a selfish git. Um, and he's basically doing it for himself. But Chelsea don't care, you know. Chelsea are benefiting it, benefiting hugely from from his form. So um, you know, if it is for his own reasons to to move abroad next summer, which he will do, then Chelsea might as well just you know let him run wild and and um, reap the benefits from that. Yeah, uh, quicker just uh, tracking back, so to speak, on Giroud, Daniel's story. Who's now freelancing, but still writes for Football Three Six Five, uh, wrote about Giroud. This and apparently, you know, so uh, thanks to him for these stats that uh, he's not scored. He didn't have a single shot on target during the World Cup for France. Uh, don't think he scored this season, and his only goals in a, a Nations League uh, recently for his country. So goals-wise, he's offered virtually nothing yeah but he's still a success because he's he's one of those players who just brings the team together in a way so he's selfless as well uh, I quite like him but yeah he's not there to it's 11 Chelsea games without scoring uh, 7 goals in his last 37 Premier League games they're not impressive stats but he's, he does have a role because of his physical nature and, and what he does uh, to bring others into the game so yeah, uh, yeah, interesting stats. I thought uh, Mourinho's going to park a hundred buses then <laughs> tomorrow. I've got a weird feeling he won't. I, I don't. I can't explain it. I've just got a weird feeling that he won't tomorrow. I, I think uh, he's not. He's hardly going to go for broke. You know that's not his way. But I think he might set up a bit more offensively than people think he will. Is it because he's got nothing to lose? Type. Yeah, I, I think definitely that. that, and definitely a case of you know at that half-time summit meeting in the changing room um, when words were said and you know, it came out looking a very different team against Newcastle um, a lot of that will be a continuation of, of what was discussed um, so I think you know he knows what his his best interests which is currently to stay employed at United and win a few games and so I think you know obviously never admits to himself but it might be a bit of a compromise from him this this weekend and he'll let the players have their way for once only to yeah. an extent but you know uh, fair to charge him for swearing in Portuguese as he leaves <laughs> the pitch that's it's, ridiculous I mean that is I I, personally, I know he's going to get a small fine but this is just I mean anyway, loathe as I am to stick up for Jose Mourinho <laughs> for anything I mean come on no one will have heard it anyway. No one will have understood it if they had heard it. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you I'd, think rules are rules? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd find him for breathing. Um, and, it, and if he breathes <laughs> in like one and a half thousand times a day, you know, maybe like a tenner a time um, and just do that on a daily basis. Remember, we don't want him leaving United, so... No, but, you know... Stirring him up. No, true, but it'd be nicer for him to be a bit poorer. Hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, just very quickly we'll, we'll we'll move on and look at the uh, City's match. But I think the late game Huddersfield at home to Liverpool. We both agreed. Are you agreed that this will be an easy win for 
for Liverpool. They've got injury problems though. Um, Mar- I reckon they'll all start. Kate yeah, will start, but I, I think so because Marnie's got a broken thumb, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but players can play with broken thumbs, can't they? Yeah. So. I don't know what that's about at all. Um, so, yeah, I think Cater might well be the only absentee. But uh, what's the Salah injury? It was more of a one where you don't really know. You know, it's kind yeah. of... Um, it, you have to wait and see on that one. Um, but, frankly, such as his poor form at the moment, he'll be no great loss anyway. Uh, I think it's not so much dependent on Liverpool. I think it's more dependent on what Huddersfield town we see. You know, what, what kind of uh, Huddersfield we see this weekend. And I think um, they're going through a bad patch right now. They're going through second season syndrome. And if they kind of... similar vein, actually, to Mourinho and United going to Stamford Bridge, if they just kind of unleash themselves somewhat and just really get the crowd fired up, Huddersfield, then who knows? Um, I I certainly don't think it'll be an easy three points for Liverpool. I mean, you know, City have found that out to their cost at Huddersfield. Um... So my personal take on it is it'll be a tight, narrow, maybe possibly even late Liverpool win. I've got a quiz question for you. Right. Since Klopp was... You weren't expecting quiz questions. No, I really so. wasn't. Since Klopp was appointed in October 2015, Liverpool have faced side during the bottom three at the time they played them on 19 occasions. Yeah. How many of those 19 games do you think they won? Right, for you to ask this question... <laughs> yeah, exactly. ...suggests that there's a surprising answer. Um, Unless I'm bluffing you. Yeah? No, I'm going to go low. I think... I'm going to say eight out of the 19 they've won. Uh, it's six. Oh. One six, lost six, drawn seven. Wow. So Liverpool... I've, we've probably touched on this in the past. If they're going to be titled... Yeah. Uh, ...contenders, it's not the big games they need to worry about. It's the games against teams like Huddersfield. But I, I do see so little in Huddersfield at the moment that, you know, I just see Liverpool winning this comfortably myself. So, uh, But this year alone, they've drawn with West Brom in 20th, Stoke in 19th, and lost to Swansea in 20th. Uh, but they were all last season, of course. So uh, We shall see. Just, you know, just maybe there'll be that surprise there. But, yeah, I don't see goals in Huddersfield, so... If no, I don't. Score true. And you expect them to score. Yeah. Then it becomes a problem for, yeah. for the home side, so... Unfortunately, I think that's an easy win, so... Well, I was going to say, actually, from a City perspective, it is one of those kind of bonus games, almost, where if Liverpool do win, you kind of shrug your shoulders and five minutes later, yeah, you've moved on, because you think, well, I kind of expected them to anyway. Yeah. Um, but who knows, you know... Huddersfield yeah. at theirs when the crowd are up that's, that is that is a kind of a formidable place to go to um, so a lot of it depends on the home side yeah and they'll probably be saying the same about us to be honest yeah <coughs> a bonus result we're expected yeah. to win and so on so yeah uh, right shall we move on and look at the uh, the Burnley match another three o'clock on a Saturday astonishingly uh, we strapped our minds what t- how do you think Pep's going to play this? Is he going to th- be planning ahead with that game? Uh, we must remember, of course, there's no game next weekend because it's Spurs coming up. So there is a bit of a gap after Shakhtar. But will he be thinking ahead or will he just go with his strongest side? Uh, he's had his press conference today and it seems uh, Gundogan seems to be is, is out. Delft's back in the reckoning. Bernardo Silva's injury seems to be either non-existent or very minor so he's available for selection 
As is Kevin De Bruyne, of course, though my personal thought is not a chance of him starting. How do you think he's going to approach this? Will he just ignore games coming up? or? Really uh, I think he'll go he strong. Uh, I think, obviously, it will be part of his thinking of the Shakhtar game, but um, I do think he'll go strong. Um, so I wouldn't be overly surprised if Jesus started. Um, but that aside, it would be pretty much the strongest eleven bearing in mind that you would expect De Bruyne to start on the bench um, and then hopefully come on with 15 minutes to go and get some minutes in his legs yeah uh, well yeah he might he will if you know if the game's going okay he will want him to get some yeah. football there uh, any I, I do ask this I don't know why I keep asking this but I'm going to anyway <laughs> any chance of complacency when we meet a team with team like this from the players and from the manager or is Pep so screwed on you know that he doesn't take any game lightly anymore well I am always really um, uneasy <laughs> after international breaks yeah. and a while ago in my, about a year ago I thought oh, I'm going to write about this and you know City always seem to do badly after international breaks and I, I'm going to you know and you know obviously when I, the time of me writing was just after an international break and I looked into it and our record was pretty good so <laughs> I just got it wrong it's just my pessimism kind of coming through um so yeah I don't think there's going to be any complacency and I think the type of opponent we have is perfect for a post international break as well um yeah. Burnley are going to be up for it and if there is any shred of kind of complacency in the ranks, within five minutes that'll be kind of rattled out of us anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, and we mentioned previously we did have I can't remember the per, uh, the full eight players that just didn't go on international duty, which helps of course. Uh, Delph and Gundogan had the injury doubts, of course, so they were never going. Mendy, we thought was going to be injured, so wasn't called up for his country. Uh, Aguero wasn't there Fernandinho wasn't there David Silva's retired of course from international duty so we've got a good a good pile of players there that you know that weren't involved during the two weeks and don't be surprised if a lot of them will, will feature there for so uh, look at Burnley last season we obviously we drew their one all of course in a frustrating game and uh, Sterling missing the absolute sitter at 1-0 up and uh, not that it was all his fault uh, we won 3-0 in the home game but it was frustrating for half an hour until Bernardo Silva won a penalty that enraged Sean Dyche which is always good to see <laughs> and two late-ish goals saw us win 3-0 but it was a struggle and in the FA Cup we also played them at home of course and we were losing at half time before we absolutely blitzed them in the second half so they showed last season that they can cause us problems he expected more of the same because they're, they've got seven points from the last three league games, but that doesn't really tell the story. They're out of Europe, they're out of the Carabao Cup. The league form's been up and down, so they're in the bottom half of the table. Uh, are we playing the same Burnley side as last side, uh, last season? Is still going to be stubborn, defensive, organised, and causes a lot of problems. Yeah, definitely all of all of the above. And I think you summed it up when you said um, used the word frustrating. I think. <laughs> It's a potentially a very frustrating afternoon. Um, when you do come up against the likes of Burnley um, or, or Cardiff or teams where you expect to be kind of highly organised and just that little bit filthy as well, um, an early goal is so key. I mean, it's so, so key. Uh, just to bring them out a touch. Um, if, that do, if that's not the case, then 
that frustration will just mount and mount. And if it gets to half time, it's nil nil, then we you know potentially have problems there. So I would expect City to win, but I'd expect you know Burnley to strike a couple of blows. Um, and I wouldn't be overly surprised if they you know, got the score sheet as well because they're actually starting to do that now. Uh, at the start of the season, they were woeful um, and they just simply couldn't score. And what is it now in the last three league games, they've scored seven goals. Um, so it's just a big turnaround there. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those where, I mean, personally, I think it's going to be 4-1, 3-1, something like that. Burnley kind of striking a singular blow, but overall City having far too much for them. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to ask any players that you think will cause us problems out there too. Uh, Vokes is on a rich vein of form, and not just with Burnley as well, but with uh, Wales, his performances have really picked up. Um, in fact, I think I'm just looking now to see how many he's scored this season, and uh, yeah, scored three for Burnley this season. I think it's two for Wales. So um, you'd expect Vokes to start up front. Um, and Stephen Defoe possibly is back, the working man's De Bruyne. Um, <laughs> yeah, good player, though, isn't he? He's a very good player, but he's... And you know, you barely lose a player like him, though, it's going to have oh, a big effect. Oh, absolutely, but he's Belgium and he's not as good as De Bruyne. It was on a plate for me, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, he's, he's a very good player. And he's, you know, while he's certainly back, it's just exactly the same as KDB. It's what level of fitness he's at and whether he's going to start on the bench or start the game more likely the former um, so he's always a good kind of player to watch as well um, yeah. but all round I hate Burnley I, I just hate them It's I like the fans um, <laughs> I hate the club and I well I hate the manager and I hate the team and I hate watching them um, and you know I'd like them to, to go down the season yeah I do have respect for them I certainly don't dislike the club I, I uh, respect them I mean I respect any team what's you know on their Kind of limitations who have made it to the Premier League and remained in the Premier League and thrived in the Premier League. So I've got, a, I've actually got a lot of respect for him, um, and I've got a lot of respect for their history as well. Um, but no, the present incarnation of Burnley, the Premier League would be a lot better place without them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was such a Coronation Street moment. Yeah. Just you got yeah, don't don't sit on the fence there. <laughs> To be honest, I like it because uh, going back, you know, when we weren't even good, I think we got a great record against them. Remember that? I think it was a six-one at Turf Moor. Yeah, where it rained so hard, I thought typical City they're going to call this yeah. game off when <laughs> we're five goals to the good. Uh, and we've, you know, I think we've put tons of goals past them down the years. So I always have a soft spot for them for that reason. Uh, Sean Dice, obviously a miracle worker, uh, but not a. Not a worthy manager of the year. <laughs> so I think we can agree on that. Yeah. And if uh, obviously I've done a Q and A with a Burnley fan this week, and he very much thought he should have been manager of the year, but all subjective, of course. Yeah. Uh, Ashley Barnes, I think will uh, Barnes will be a, a threat. I think you know physical threat up front. I do wonder if that will uh, influence the central defence we we choose, or if we expect to dominate the ball and it doesn't matter that much. Uh, thoughts on Joe Hart, of course. Are you glad that he's doing well? Yeah, yeah. For for what he achieved for City, I've never <laughs> been his biggest fan. Um, I don't. Does Burnley suit him? Do you think? Or? Well, Burnley suits any English goalkeeper because they seem to just collect them, don't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it yeah. four they've got? It's, it's only I think three it's three. Pope, Pete, and Hart. I don't know who else they've got. So yeah, 
Um, but no, I wish Joe Hart all the best, and um, I'm glad to see him doing well. He's going to do well at a club like Burnley because he's going to face a lot of shots, and he's not a bad shot stopper um, on his day. Um, but we all know kind of where his limitations lied, um, and there's you know, no point going over all ground here. But for me personally, um, he was never at that level required for City to really push on into the very top elite. And I was just never his biggest fan, quite truthfully. Um, but that's just my personal take on him. Um, but due to what he's achieved with City and what he's given Man City over the years, um, and I think he was kind of um, brought to the club, wasn't he, on Thursday? Uh, to, to, was it to the training ground? Was he got given a, a was it a mosaic? Oh, I don't know. In the same way as you know what we did with Yaya, I think uh, happened yesterday. He uh, got a season ticket for life as well, then. <laughs> probably, yeah. And it I mean, could have Yaya. It could have Yaya's, to be honest. Yaya's not going to use it, is he? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, no wonder there's empty seats. It's all these ex-players <laughs> not turning up. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I wish him all the best. That's you know, and I'm glad to see him doing well at Burnley. Um, I, as much as anything else, because I certainly didn't not like Joe Hart. It's just, you know, I never really bought into the love that other City fans have for him mm. at all, personally. Um, but as much for anything else, it's been startling his kind of stripping away of the reputation he spent a career building up. And earned, you know, he earned that reputation. Um, he earned the reputation of being England's number one and City's number one and being a title-winning goalkeeper and considered one of the best goalkeepers in the continent. You know, he did that, and within a space of 18 months, two years, in the same way as, like, you know, David Moyes, maybe in a managerial sense, you just saw this complete collapse of reputation. Yeah. Um, and that's never, well, obviously it's nice with David Moyes, but with someone like Joe, it's never nice to see. So I'm glad, I want to see him get back on track. Yeah. I was always very defensive of him because he's seen, I know, talk to United fans, oh, he's so arrogant. But to me, it was just well. He's a goalkeeper. You have to have, yeah, true. You have to have a certain personality to be a goalkeeper. Uh, I didn't have it. Yeah, even though that would be my best position, I couldn't possibly play in goals because you have to have a mentality. You have to have an ego. You have to have something different. It's a unique position, and he always fronted up. He was always honest. I didn't see it as arrogance really. Uh, and yeah, at his peak, yeah, you know, I, I did think he was one of the best. But in hindsight, now he clearly wasn't. Yeah, those days have gone. So, but yeah, at some point I thought he'd break rank like a lot of players do when they leave clubs and have a go at Pep, and I've not seen anything yet. That's just, that is very true. You know what? He's just yeah. said the right things and he's gone up in my estimation. If he sticks yeah. to that, uh, because of course he could say something because I'm sure he wanted to stay at City, and I hear lots of different reasons for why it did turn out right that Pep wanted him out immediately, or his attitude stunk, or he wouldn't. Adapt. Not believe in any of them because I don't know which one's true. So, uh, but yeah, he left, and it could easily have been acrimonious since. And so many players just cannot, you know, they have to say something. But and I've not, I've just heard positive stuff from him. So I really respect him for that. Uh, I hope he just has a brilliant rest of his career, but not at City's expense, of course. So. Yeah, uh, and perhaps get a move back up. You know, not Burnley's not a small club, but back up. You know, one. Could uh, your you know a proper European campaign somewhere, maybe a top six club? I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to see that anyway. So, 
Yeah. And anyway, just uh, we'll move on back. Just back to finish with City again. Uh, are you of the opinion? Who would you play in the centre of defence if we're playing a physical side? Do you agree that we should change it around? Thoughts always turn to Ottoman yeah. company when it's just like default football manager. Put them two in. We're playing a physical side. Would you change anything because of the opposition or no? And no. also, whilst you're at it, you might as well talk about through the rest of the side. Do you just want to see Sterling, Sane, Aguero again? If you were in charge, is that how you'd play it? Um, uh, and keep with Fernandinho and so on, Mendy and Walker. Yeah, I mean, the Fernandinho one is a tricky one, isn't it? Because He's well, he's had two weeks off now, Ant. So. That's true, but um, you know he's also got a game on Tuesday where he's going to be expected to do an awful lot of work and cover an yeah. awful lot of ground. So, but really, what choice do we have? We have to start with Fernie. So, uh, at the back, I would play Stones in Laporte. I wouldn't play Otamendi Company. Um, I, I like. I'm liking seeing this kind of constancy now, this consistency in selection. Uh, I think it bodes well. Um, and I don't think there's any danger of because we're coming up against physical front men that you know we should start kind of reacting. We should be proactive, yeah. especially at home as well, uh, and look to kind of keep possession and do what we do. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, I think I'm expecting a strong team. So it's for me, it's Edison, um, Walker, and Mendes for fullbacks, centre backs as we've touched on, Fernandinho holding um, in midfield. It's a wee bit tricky there of the two. I'm probably the two silvers um, but I wouldn't be overly surprised maybe um, to see Delph come straight back in um, or certainly get some minutes anyway um, at the expense of Bernardo Silva depending on how you know trivial his injury has been um, and up front like I say personally I would go for Jesus up front with Sterling and Sane Jesus, yeah, yeah, I, I love those three. I, I mean, I adore Aguero, and he is my all-time favourite footballer. And I, the man is a god to me. But I just also adore watching Sterling, Sane, and Jesus. I just, you know, the fact that they're what the average age is 20, 21 yeah. and yeah. you can see the three of them when they're playing up front together. They enjoy playing with each other, um, and it's, it's yeah, it's just invigorating to watch it. Does it worry you the lack of? A reduced goal threat if we swap Jesus for Guerrero. Well, I mean, he's, he started to score again. He scored for Brazil, didn't he, Jesus? Yeah. And he was excellent in his cameo against Liverpool yeah. uh, for half an hour. And he looked like the Jesus of old as well. Just this kind of, you know, right, come on, I'll take you on kind of thing. Um, and I want to see more of the same from, from the lad, frankly. And I think we, we need to see more of the same. Um, because, you know, Aguero, when... He was getting his knockers and people were saying that he's past it and all the rest of it and Jesus was the future. Aguero really stepped up to the plate and I think it's time now for Jesus to do the same. Okay, fair enough. Uh, right, well, I think we've covered everything. Just one final thing. Just give me a score prediction then. Um, I think 3-1. What about yourself? I was just about to say that. <laughs> I think they'll... I just get a feeling they'll score from a set piece, a header from yeah. Barnes. At some point will happen. Uh but yeah, we'll score three and probably miss a couple, at least three other good chances. Uh, it'll be, you know, be hard work, but I think, yeah, they'll get there in the end. So I know I'm supposed to do something different, but I'll stick with 3-1 as well. So 3-1 it is. Yeah. Okay, right. Short and sweet. Uh, thank you very much, Steve, for coming on the pod today. Pleasure, mate. 
thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, obviously, we'll have a review of the match uh, Sunday or Monday. I'm looking forward to Shakhtar after that and loads more of the shows uh, coming up in the coming weeks. So, again, thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.